So once again, I want to thank all of you that have come to our friend day this year. And, and uh, if this is the first time you've been here, I sure do appreciate it. Yeah, and, and kind of during our offering time, we always have a deacon of the week. And so let me just remind you that Bob Marquis is the deacon of the week. His number is on the inside of the bulletin. And so if you're a guest, especially since you invite everybody to my house, make sure you call him this week and just say, hey, what are you doing? He's probably stuck in traffic. But uh, we do want to thank you for coming. Uh, in the world today when life is so busy, you'll come in the church is usually the last thing on a lot of people's list. And it seems like we're getting busier and busier and busier. And so let me see if I can start a good debate in church this morning. Am I allowed to do that? So there we go. Yes. So how many of you are iPhone people, Apple people? So we know where the rest of y'all are, so you know, we'll pray for you. <laughs> well, you know, this week with the announcement uh, from Apple that the iPhone 7 has come out, uh, it, it just is a reminder to me of how fast technology is growing, and it seems that I'm going in the opposite direction. Where technology is advancing, it seems like I am getting worse, and uh, things are getting slower, but I don't know about you, but I would think that with all the things that we have with gadgets, that our lives would become more efficient and simpler, but I'll speak for myself, mine seems to be becoming more and more and more complex rather than the opposite. And so while gadgets are nice, life seems to be going at a whirlwind. And so we, I really do appreciate that you took time out of your busy schedule to come this morning because it does seem like life is going faster and faster where we're expected to work more, you know, and there's more demands on the family. And, and so, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people would even ask the question, why bother going to church? Now, for some of us, we might be saying, well, we, we understand why, but you know what? It's really a question that our culture is asking whether they realize it or not. Matter of fact, uh, while there's still 79% of people in America today that would consider themselves Christian, less than 20% actually attend church. And so whether people realize it or not, they are indeed asking the question, why church? You know, there's lots of things that we do that we understand, uh, that we do things that we don't, may not even want to do, that we get up early and some of you drive for hours in traffic around here, uh, you know, just to get to work, maybe to participate in a job that you really don't care about, but you do it because you got to pay the bills. Uh, we go grocery shopping because we want to eat. We even go to the dentist so we have teeth to eat the things that we purchase so that we can actually chew on it so we don't have to drink our, our food. There's lots of things that we do because we know why we do it. But why church? I get it why some people no longer come to church. They've had bad experiences in church. And I know I've had bad experiences in church. And I spoke to you know, uh, one person this week that uh, they had a bad experience in church as a child. Matter of fact, she used to go to church every week. Uh, and one day she was in church, and as she was, she was just observing what was going on. There was a lady from South America that walked in, and she was generally wearing her best, but her best were full of holes and was kind of dirty. And as she walked up to worship God, she walked past the lady's auxiliary. Now, this young child really thought that these are the, these are the spiritual women of the church. And as this lady walked, she, she could hear them. They were laughing at her, at this other woman, and snickering and making fun of her. And she went home and told her dad, Dad, that's the last time I go to church. And guess what? She was true to her word. This woman is now in her late 50s, and she hadn't been in church since except for weddings and funerals. 
is kind of sad. It's a sad indictment that many churches are like that, and people have had bad experiences of church. You know, some have actually gone to church, and, you know, other than being able to say it was the best hour of sleep they had all week, they get nothing. That'll sink in in a minute. Uh, they get nothing out of it, so why even bother going to church? If you're going to go and you're going to waste time in church and get nothing out of it, you're sitting in a pew that's not really comfortable, you might be sitting next to somebody that didn't shower, and <laughs> why, why bother going? And so it's really a question that people are asking whether they like to or not. And so hopefully this morning I'm going to help us answer the question, why church? And I can think of no better place to look than in the book of Acts where the church got started. And so if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, we're going to kind of look at verses 40-ish and following about what was going on when the church started. But let me give you a little bit of the backstory of what was taking place. This is 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. It's about 10 days after Jesus ascended back into heaven, and he told this group of about 120 people, I want you to wait. Don't do anything. I want you to wait because I'm going to send... So, you know, somebody to you. We would call that person the Holy Spirit now. I'm going to send him to you. You're going to know for sure when he comes, and then I want you to go out. And so it's been about 50 days. The Holy Spirit has come, and, and this is where we pick it up in, in chapter 2, uh, verse 41. And so it says that, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so here you have Peter goes out and gives his first sermon which, by the way, was his best sermon. 3,000 people uh, believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Yeah, and how would you like your first sermon to be your best? Kind of hard to, to match that. And so 3,000 people believe in Jesus as the Messiah, you know, and they, they end up becoming part of the church. Now, you might be saying, well, Dave, that doesn't really answer the question, why church? And I agree, it doesn't. It doesn't answer the question, why church? You know, but uh, as we go through the rest of this text, I hope that you will see, I, I want to make at least three points this morning about why church. And the first is this, that it's a place to belong. I believe God has wired us in our DNA as the way he created us to be people who belong to something, to belong to a group. And, and no matter what, folks are going to, they're going to gravitate to something, whether it's the wrong group in school, whether it's a cyber group online that you can, you don't even have to tell them your real name or anything that's true about you, but people gravitate towards a group. Now, I'm going to date myself uh, this morning, and hopefully some of you are at least not along, uh, but how many of you remember the theme song to the, the TV show Cheers? Right? Some of us. And so we're going to put it up here. We're going to see, we're going to play fill in the blank this morning. You know, so the first verse that we don't have up there says this Making your way in the world takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Here it is. Sometimes you want to go where everybody, uh huh, somebody watched the show. And they're, they're always glad that you came. You want to be where uh, you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Right? And, and that's so true, isn't it? It was probably the, one of the most, if not the most popular television show when I was growing up. And it's kind of sad that it took place in a bar in Boston. What's sad about that is it's true that in a place like that, you belong. People care about you. People do want to know who you are. They want to know about your day. But when you walk into some churches, 
They don't care. And so when I say that the, one of the benefits of why church is it's a place to belong, because that's generally how God has created it. He created it to be a place where we did belong. If you look at verse 42, we see this, we see this play out. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so the church was coming together, and, and they, were, they, they loved hearing the apostles' teaching. These are the guys that walk with Jesus, and they wanted to continue to hear the convincing proofs that Jesus, while he was on earth for those 40 days, was giving them convincing proof after convincing proof that he was who he claimed to be. And so when they came together, they were continuing to listen to all these teachings. But you see what they says next? And they, devoted, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The interesting thing here is that this word, this word fellowship, what it means you know, is, is that it's this intimate group. It means close mutual relationships and involvement. So that's what church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be where we, we get plugged in. We have a purpose. We, we belong to this close group where that we have meaning and we're doing life together. We're, we're connecting with one another. People really do care about me and vice versa. You know, and so the, the church, according to what God had designed it to be, is it's a place for us to belong, a place where we go. People want to know how our week was, how things are going. They've been praying for us together, and we're studying God's Word together. And so the, why church? Because it's genuinely a place for us to belong. But there's so much more about why church. And, and one of those things is it's a place for us to see God's glory magnified. Now, when you think about many churches, especially in this country, uh, that's not necessarily taking place, and for a lot of different reasons, but certainly here in the early church, if you look at verse 43, you see this taking place, and it says this, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and so what you have here is the apostles, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, are doing all sorts of signs and wonders, and, and people are talking about it. People are talking about what God is doing in their lives, you know, and we'll see this play out a little bit more in the, in the text that, you know, they were, they were worshiping Together. They were spending time in each other's homes. They were eating together, and they're sharing about what God has done in their lives. There were incredible things that were taking place in the church, and God's glory was magnified. I'm not sure if you've ever taken the time to look through a, you know, a really powerful telescope or microscope or even just a great set of binoculars that when you really focus in on something, you can see the detail that you can't see with your naked eye. That multiplied is seeing God's glory magnified, seeing it magnified in our lives, seeing it magnified in others' lives, that when we're coming together, we're hearing what God is doing in one another's lives, you know, and, and God is getting the glory. It's exciting. Not only is it a place to belong, but we see God doing things. Continue in verse 44, and all who believed together had all things in common, that they were coming together. The, what they first had in common was Jesus they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that he was who he said he was, that he, that he died and that he rose again from the dead as he claimed. We'll look at that in a moment. But that's what they had in common. But when they saw all these signs and wonders and what God was doing in one another's lives, that it really did create this community. And, and the community was something that was important. Verse 45, and they were, they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the, the proceeds to all as they had need. 
You see, there was such community taking place, and there was excitement about what God was doing in their lives that when they found out that somebody was in need, they'd do whatever it, it took to take care of that need. Some would sell their belongings to take care of somebody else's needs because there was community. We don't really often see that happening in the church today. We certainly don't see that happening in our culture because our culture has taught us the opposite. It taught us that you're... We'll see how many of you are as old as I am. Remember the McDonald's slogan? You deserve what? A break today. Why? Because it's all about you. We've come to church thinking it's all about me and what can I get out of it. But these folks weren't looking at what they can get out of it. They just couldn't wait to see what God was doing. And, they, and God's glory was being, was being magnified as they heard each other's story. And so the church is a place to belong. It's a church is the place to see God's glory being magnified in my life, in your life, and in our lives collectively, that we can't wait to come together to give proclamations of what God did this week. You know, I've heard some stories this week of some tremendous tragedy in, in especially two women's lives of uh, being beaten and the abuse that they had in, in their marriages. And you, when I heard the stories, I mean, my mouth would about hit the floor about what they went through. One is a woman I've, I've known for the two and a half years I've been here and had no idea what she's gone through. You see, that's part of how God magnifies his glory. He takes those things that, even those things that we've done to ourselves, the things that other people have done in our lives, and he gives us healing. He uses them to glorify himself. He uses them to give encouragement in other people's lives. I don't know why he does it. I'm not even sure how he does it. But his glory is, is magnified over and over and over as we yield to him and we let him have his way in our lives. Verse 46, we, we see this again. It says this, and day by day uh, they, uh, they attend in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and they receive food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having found favor with all the people. And so when you see day by day as they're going to do a life together, it was part of their culture. They went to the temple every day and they're, they're, they're walking to the temple having conversation about God's goodness and what they're learning. They're walking to the temple most likely talking about what God's doing in their lives. And, and they weren't done with one another after they went to the temple. They spent time eating together. They spent time in one another's homes and they continued to share all the things that God was doing to glorify themselves in their lives. Man, wouldn't it be nice to be part of something like that, to belong to a group like that where not only were you a part of and people wanted to be, you would be part of their group, but to be able to see God's glory being magnified. And so we see that the church is a place to belong. It's a place to see God's glory magnified, but it's also a place to see God's glory multiplied. You know, one of the, I think the main purposes of the church is for the church to tell others about who Jesus is. And certainly the early church was doing that. They, they got to walk with Jesus for 40 days, and Jesus was giving them many convincing proofs of who he was, that he was indeed the Messiah. You know, and that's the whole purpose of the church is for us to give those convincing proofs to others so that they can decide for themselves whether or not Jesus was who he claimed to be. You know, but then God's glory has the opportunity to be multiplied over and over. And you see this in the second half of verse 47. And the Lord... Not the people, but the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why? Because they kept on sharing these convincing proofs that they were 100% convinced of with other people. You know, other Jews and then Gentiles eventually were hearing the good news of who Jesus was. You know, the reason they came together in the first place was because of 
the work of Jesus. The reason they stayed together was because of the work of Jesus. The reason they shared the convincing proofs about Jesus was because of the work of Jesus and the transformation that they was taking place in their life. And so, you know, the, each individual member of the church, and you see this play out here a little bit in the text, that they used their possessions, they used their talents, they used their gifts to come together as the body to make God's glory known and to allow God's glory to be magnified and allow God's glory to be multiplied. And so why church? Well, because it's a place to belong. It's a place for God's glory to be magnified and for other people to see what they can't see before. It's a great, great place for God's glory through the church to be multiplied. Now, I'm assuming there's some people here that are just like me that you're skeptics. And you go, hey, great, Dave, there's three points. They sound wonderful, but you know what? You really still haven't answered the question, why church for me? You know, I, I get it's a place to belong, but, you know, I've been to church and I've never really belonged. I, it, you know, I, and I'm not so sure about this magnification and, and multiplication of God's glory. I, I'm not really sure I agree with you, and, and I can appreciate that. I want to take the remainder of our time here, and we don't have much left, and I want to give you a... Um, Really, an argument that C.S. Lewis initiated and a guy by the name of Josh McDowell kind of tweaked that has popularized it. You know, and it's essentially three conclusions as to who Jesus is. I think most of us here this morning would agree that Jesus lived, that he died, and that he was buried. But this whole raised again on the third day, eh, maybe not. But here's what Josh McDowell and, and, and before him C.S. Lewis, and by the way, C.S. Lewis was not only a skeptic, he was an atheist. And here's what he came to. There's only three conclusions as to who Jesus can be. Either he was a liar, he knew that he wasn't who he claimed to be, and he was lying about it. He was a lunatic. He was just crazy off his rocker, or he indeed was who he claimed to be. And so I want to just go through some portions of Scripture this morning with you as, as we wind up so that you can see that Jesus made some pretty significant claims. In John 10.30, and this is one of a variety of places where he, ma he makes this claim, he says, I and the Father are one. He was claiming to be God. So either he knew that he wasn't and he knew that he was lying, or he was absolutely crazy and had no idea what he was saying, or he was indeed who he claimed to be. In John 14, verse 7 through 11, it says this. You know, Paul, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. Philip is one that's there. And he, Jesus says this, If you had known me, you would have known the Father. From now on, you do know him because you have seen him. Now, Philip, one of the disciples, is standing there, and he says, Lord, show us the Father. And then it would be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I've been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So you have this dilemma that here's even those who walk with Jesus that aren't quite understanding. But here again, you have the claims in multiple times in this context. Jesus is basically saying, I and God the Father are the same. So either he had no idea what he was talking about because he was just crazy off his rocker, 
He knew he was lying, or he indeed was who he said he was. And so C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell, who was also an atheist, and were struggling with this very thing. Well, even more than that, Jesus claimed that he was going to die, and he actually claimed that three days later he was going to be brought back from the dead. You see this in Matthew 16. You know, as Jesus is again talking with the disciples, he said, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and, and then suffer many things, you know, both from the elders and from the chief priests and the scribes, and that he would be killed, and then on the third day, he'd be raised. And so Jesus began to teach us, and he began to claim that we see this again in Luke chapter 9 and 21 and 22, you know, that it says, and he strictly charged them and commanded them not to tell anyone, you know, that he was saying this. He said, the Son of Man must suffer must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. And so you have this Jesus claiming to be God, claiming he was going to be killed. And by the way, he was killed for proclaiming to be God. And he said, three days after I am murdered, I will come back from the dead. That's quite the claim. And I suggest that that is the hinge of all of Christianity. Still many in our world are not convinced, but those in the early church were convinced of this, that they, they had these convincing proofs of Jesus. And as they shared this, many, many people came to faith in Christ. The first day they told it, 3,000 came to Christ. And then every day people, because the church was sharing these convincing proofs, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, being a skeptic myself, one of the things I look for to be convinced is the conversion of other skeptics. Those who totally disagreed that if their mind was changed, to me it gives more credibility that, hey, there's got to be some substantial truth to this. And so there's, there's two skeptics that I want to show, show you that they, their mind was changed. One was the Apostle Paul. And we're going to read a text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to be turning there, where we see his words to those in Corinth. And, and so, but Paul... Paul was a Pharisee, and, and Paul believed in God the Father, and so when Jesus was claiming to be God, he considered it blasphemy, and so anybody who was saying that they believe in Jesus, Paul was going around and trying to kill them, thinking that he was helping God. Later on, Paul ends up becoming a follower of Jesus because he's totally convinced that Jesus was God, and so he's one of the, the two. The second is James, the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? I mean, he never got in trouble. He was always doing the right thing. And so, you know, his parents are going, well, right, who did it? Right, and you're James, and Jesus is sitting next to you. You know they're not looking at Jesus. They're going, all right, James, what you do this time? But James is one of the ones that Paul refers to. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and very interesting enough, we sung a song that has to do with this very passage in 3 through eight, let me read this to you because this is what really convinced me. It says this, Paul said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 other people, other brethren at the same time, most of whom are still alive, even though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, his brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so Paul here is, is giving, 
this list of people that are convinced that Jesus came back from the dead. Some of them are those who are skeptics like himself and James, the brother of Jesus, who, who converted to Jesus. And he's saying, look, there's 500 people that saw him at one time. If you don't believe me, go talk to them. And so he's giving these convincing proofs that Jesus indeed came back from the dead. So why church? Well, if Jesus was a liar, don't come. If he's a lunatic, that's even worse. Why on earth would we meet him? But if he, he indeed was who he said he was, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's why church. Jesus came, got in the flesh, took on human flesh, was put to death, because of what it says in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned, and we've fallen short of perfection, and therefore we can't have God's glory. We can't make it into heaven. Romans 6.23, a little bit later, says this, for the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death that we'll go through one day, but a spiritual death, a spiritual separation from God for all of eternity. And here's one of the best words in all the Bible, but... But the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. Why church? Because the only real way to belong is through the work of Jesus. The only real way to see the glory of God magnified in your own life is through the work of Jesus. The only real way to see God's glory multiplied is because of the work of Jesus. And as the writer of Romans says, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says this. Because if you confess with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Here's what this verse says. You will be saved. Because it is with the heart that one believes and is justified. It is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. Why, church? Because if he indeed was who he said he was, and some of the other words of Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through me, except through the works that he's done. You know, and if there was any other way to get to heaven except through Jesus, why on earth would he go through what he did to pay for my sin and yours? Why, church? Because there are all these convincing proofs, and we really have only scratched the surface on the convincing proofs, but there are all these convincing proofs that Jesus wasn't a liar, that he wasn't a lunatic, but that he was indeed the King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know where you're coming from this morning. Maybe it's the first time you've even stepped foot in a church, and I sure do appreciate that. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing some of this, and maybe for the first time it's making sense, but you still have questions. And in a moment as we come to the last song, of it, we call it the song of invitation, the song of response. If you have questions, we'll actually have people down here up front that want to help answer your questions. We're not going to twist your arm. We're not going to give a hellfire and brimstone thing. We're not going to put you on a seat that's electrified and when you don't answer the right question. But we just want to help you look at the convincing proofs and you decide for yourself, is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he who he claimed to be? Maybe you do believe in that. Maybe you gave your life to Christ many years ago, but like that 
young girl that I shared about who now is in her late 50s because of a bad experience in church. You haven't walked in the doors where a church resides in years. Maybe God's spirit is tugging at yours saying, get plugged into a body of believers where you can belong, where you can see my glory magnified and my glory multiplied. If that's you, we'd love to help you heal and get plugged in, whether it's this church or another church, so that you can experience all that God created you to experience because of his shed blood. So as we come to this last song, and you have questions, please come you and ask. Uh, In the first service, I I talked to an elderly guy in the the back here, and he just didn't have the guts to come forward, and so he grabbed me afterwards and said, you know what, I want to talk to somebody about that. And so if you don't have the courage to to come forward now, grab me afterwards and let me get you with some of the the people that we, we just love to answer questions so that you don't leave today with unanswered questions. Will you bow in prayer with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the convincing proofs about who Jesus is. Thank you that there are not just one or two, but that there are many convincing proofs that help us understand with certainty that Jesus is indeed the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. God, I thank you for your church. I thank you that it is indeed a place for us to belong, but it's a place to belong because of what Jesus has done in our lives. It's a place that we can see the the glory of Jesus revealed in ways that we would never see ourselves, and it's a place that we can gather together and go out and tell others about the glory of Jesus and therefore have his glory multiplied. God, I pray right now that if there's anybody here that's struggling with, with things that the church has done to them in the past or struggling with this this argument, liar, Lord, or lunatic. God, that your spirit would testify with theirs, and Lord, that they would have a desire to hear these convincing proofs and decide for themselves once and for all if you indeed are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. In Jesus' name.